to Second John. Second John, we'll continue our study in this book. And as we've looked at in our past study, this letter is not written to a specific church, although it pertains to all the elect of all the ages. It's written to an individual, a lady, who is called the elect lady. And the theme of this letter is that she is, abiding, she is to abide in truth and love. Truth and love. Now this is the, also the theme and the song of the blood-washed church of God, the born-again body of Christ. When it all boils down to it, truth and love is what we have on this earth. Let's read Second John together. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And not only and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever, grace be to you, be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from Je- the Lord Jesus Christ the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Next we see an exhortation by John for them to walk in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world, who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whoso transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds." And now we see the final greeting to the brethren. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. Now we see in verse 4 that the beloved apostle John brings forth the effect of truth and love, the effects of the regenerating power of God the Holy Spirit. As John writes of his great joy, he writes of her, his great joy that her children are walking in the truth. That her children are walking in the truth. Verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received the commandment from the Father. Again, he rejoices with her. He rejoices with her that her children, it appears some of them, doesn't say how many, but it appears some of them, are walking in the truth, are walking in the truth. And he he rejoices with her, 
of this wonderful news. This wonderful news. And he knows, he knows that the only reason they're walking in the truth, in truth and love, is because of the grace of God. He knows that, but he's, he's rejoicing along with her. That, that these children he's writing about, the Lord has saved them. And they are walking in the truth. And most commentators believe that, that the children are probably adult children because he's writing to her and he's an, he's an elderly man and he's probably writing to a dear sister. Um, we don't know, but every, most commentators take, the, take the, the, the road that these are growing children of hers. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Let's look over there. Do you know that the scriptures declare, and I know we've read this before, the scriptures declare that the angels rejoice over one coming to repentance. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. The angels rejoice over one coming to repentance. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Publicans and sinners, the ones that the Pharisees wanted nothing to do with. Our Lord doesn't turn them away, does he? Oh my, there's hope for a sinner like me. Look at that. That's what the scripture says to us. There's a hope for a sinner like me. And our hope, we who are born again, is in Christ, the same, the same one who's, who's here speaking to the publicans and sinners. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, and you know they said this with contentment, or contempt, beloved. They, they were not happy, because they did not have nothing to do with, with, with publicans and sinners. Now these religious folks, I'll tell you what, they were self-righteous religious people who looked down on people all the time. We ought never to look down on anyone. Anyone at all. Anyone at all. Look at this. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners. Well, praise God he does, eh? Praise God he does, beloved. And eateth with them. He actually, he actually has breaks bread with them. Oh, they would never think of doing that. And he spake this parable, saying unto them, what man of you having an hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. Oh, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Joy in heaven over a sinner being saved, beloved. Oh my. So we see here, John, he's just rejoicing with his dear sister. He's just rejoicing. And think of the joy of a believing mother when her children walk in the truth. It's a great joy. It's a great joy. And, and we see here, John, he's just sharing in the joy with her. And, and we share with joy, we, we rejoice in joy when we hear of others being saved. When we hear someone, the Lord save someone, we rejoice, don't we? Oh my. When we heard Brother Kevin's dad, Bill, got, the Lord saved him, we were, we were rejoicing, weren't we? 
It's wonderful. Praise be to God. Oh, my. It's wonderful. So John, John is bringing forth that it brings great joy to his heart to find the children of this dear woman walking in the truth, which means living by day by day in continual attitude and conversation, walking in the truth which, which is Christ revealed. Which is Christ revealed. Christ in them. And so John declares his, his thanksgiving that this has happened. He's sharing in their joy, beloved. And they're walking in obedience to the command of our great God. They're walking in obedience to the command of our great God to believe the gospel, to rest in Christ. They're walking in him, trusting in him, trusting in Christ, looking to the one who finished the work of salvation. They look to him. And they trust in his merits alone for salvation. And this is obedience to God. Isn't that wonderful? Just trust in the Lord. Just trust in the Lord. We're walking in obedience to our king. That's wonderful. It's not this checklist that man rolls out. Let's see here. Oh, you missed number five. You're not saved. No, no. Walking in the truth. Just trust in the Lord. Do you trust him? Yeah. Sometimes our faith is fickle, but we still trust him, don't we? He keeps us, he keeps us looking to him. He keeps us looking to him, beloved. And we rejoice. So not only have they professed Christ, but their daily conduct and communication reveal that they have a living union with Christ. Their conversation and their conduct reveal that they have a living union with Christ. He alone is their rest. Is Christ alone your rest? Is Christ alone your rest? He alone is their life. And note that they're walking in the truth. Are are you walking in the truth? Well, if I'm trusting Christ and looking to him, I'm walking in the truth. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. They're walking in obedience to the command of our great God to believe the gospel, to rest in Christ. I know a fellow I talk to probably weekly, religious fellow. This guy, I love him, but he's got so many things that that people have to do and have to do. And, And I was talking to him the other day, and I said, look, he was going off about something. I said, look, it's about Christ. It's about the gospel being preached. You get all worked up about all these people doing certain things. It's about Christ. If a person's saved, they will walk in obedience, which is what? Trusting Christ. Trusting Christ. We're sinners, saved by the grace of God, but, but we, we walk in Christ, don't we? We trust him daily. We wake up in the morning, thank you, Lord, for a day you've given me. We, we pillow our head at night. Thank you, Lord. No, we know you're in full control. I'm just going to rest in you. Oftentimes I say, Lord, I know you're in control. I'm just going to put my head down and, I'm, and, and not worry about all this stuff going on in this world. Don't have to, right? We can pillow our head. It's happening. We're aware of it. But we don't have to let it, we don't have to let it drive us. We can pillow our head. Trusting in Christ every single night and wake up every morning. No matter what we're facing, and sometimes there's mountains we're facing, 
to us. But the Lord can mow those right down, beloved. And he often does. He often does. And if, if he doesn't, he's with us. He's carrying us all the way up those mountains, isn't he? And through them valleys. Oh, my. So they're walking in obedience to the command of our great God to believe the gospel, to rest in Christ, to look to the one who has finished the work. Not to look to themselves, because there's nothing we can do to gain us merit with God, but to look to the one who's finished the work, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to him. Trust in his merits alone. That's what we do every day, don't we? Every day. Just by resting in him. Just by trusting in him. And this is obedience to God. And, and it's God who brings this obedience in us. Right? We're regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And then we grow in the grace and knowledge and truth of our Savior. But he's working in us. The Holy Spirit's working in us, beloved. Keeping us. Keeping us. Keeping us looking to Christ. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Listen to these scriptures here from John chapter 6. Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? What, what, what must we do, Lord? They're asking the Lord that question. Well, they're going to get an answer that they might not like. John chapter 6. That's verse 28, though. Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Listen to this wonderful answer by our king. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Note, this is the work of God. Are you believing on, on, on he who, who God has sent? Are you believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? And God's done a work. It's wonderful. <laughs> They're saying, what do we, what, tell us what we got to do. And he says, oh, he just flips it right around. This is a work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. Oh, it's a work of God. And it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Now, not all in a family are saved. This rarely happens. Adam had a Cain. Abraham had an Ishmael. Isaac had an Esau. But when God is, God is pleased to show his discriminating grace in, in tribes and families, he does so by taking some and leaving others. And it's a great mercy. We always remember this. It's a great mercy that when any are called by grace and walk in the truth. It's a great mercy. Think of that. Take that with you tonight and take it this week and hold on to that. If you're saved and you're walking in the truth and trusting Christ, it's because God has had mercy on you. And that mercy is great mercy. Oh, my. Great mercy. I talked to my, bro my brother, one of my brothers this week. He has no care for the gospel, no care for nothing. Doesn't even want to bring it up. And I'm, after I got off the phone with him and I thought, my Lord. Vicky and I were talking. I said, he's given me an, a saving interest in him. And just passed my brother right by. Great mercy has been shown to me. And if you're a believer, great mercy has been shown to you. Now, we still pray for them like Brother Tim said. Oh, we do, don't we? I pr we pray for our families all the time, lifting them up, asking the Lord to save them if it's his will. But, but in the other sense, we should reflect, too, again, about the great mercy that's been shown to us. Oh, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And he 
Our, our great God shows his discriminating grace. He does so by taking some and leaving others. And again, it's great mercy when there's any called uh, by grace to wa- and walk in the truth. Which again, walking in the truth is walking in Christ. Walking in Christ. Who is the truth. And by faith, which is a gift to us that we've received from the Father, um, we, we, we are able to walk in the truth of the gospel. We, we look to Christ. We trust Christ. We trust him. And we embrace and our, great, our great God and we are kept by the power of God. So we see here that her children were walking in the truth. They were walking in the doctrine of Christ. And we see that John brings that forth later in our, in our further studies. He brings that forth, which will be next week. We'll look at the doctrine of Christ. They're walking in that truth. They're walking in that truth. This is a commandment that we have received from the Father. Listen to these words of Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. It says, He hath showed the O man what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And that's what we do in Christ. In Christ, beloved. We love mercy, don't we? Oh, we praise God for mercy. We walk humbly before our God. Oh, my. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 13. We'll read the words of the Master in light of this, in light of walking in Christ. And Look at this, the words of the Master in John chapter 13. Verse 34 and 35. Then we'll go go to John 15. Look at this in John chapter 34, or John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. Then go over to chapter 15. And look at verses 9 to 12. Again, the words of the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this in verses 9 to 12. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. My goodness, look at that statement. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. That's with an everlasting love, beloved. That's an agape love. Continue ye in my love. What's shed abroad in our hearts as believers? God, God's love is shed abroad in our hearts, beloved. If ye keep my commandments, which is again just walking in Christ, trust in him, trust in him. Ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. And then look at verse 17. These things, again, he states it again. These things have I commanded you that ye love one another. And then now turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3. Just a couple pages over from where we are. 1 John chapter 3. And look at verse 18 here. 
My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now note that again. Remember, the gospel came to us not in word only, we saw this Sunday, but in power. Now look what John John writes here. My little children, let us not love in word. Let us not just say, oh, I love you. No. No. Neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Indeed and in truth. Listen to this quote on 1 John 3.18. If love consisted in word only, then love ceases as soon as the word is pronounced. The commentator is saying it's not a true love. If it ceases, if it consists only in words, it ceases as soon as the word is pronounced. Such was the love between Balak and Balaam. But if love consisteth not in word, it cannot be dissolved, such as the the love of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the rest of the patriarchs, which was the love of God shed abroad in their hearts. So we see then the true born-again believers walk in truth and walk in love. They walk in truth, look into Christ, and they walk in love. And we saw how we're commanded by our king to love one another. And we can only do this, again, we can only do this by the grace of God. By the grace, there's no other way for us to do it naturally. Trust me, I've seen it in religion and I I tried to do it in religion. It doesn't, it's, it's not real. No, this is the love of God shed abroad in the believer's heart. Genuine love. Oh my. Love that covers a multitude of sin. Covers a multitude of sin. Let's go back to our, our, our text in Second John. We'll read verses one to six together, or verses four to six. I'm sorry. Together. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that ye walk after his commandments, this is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Now our human love, our human love is, is frail and weak and changeable. Because we're sinners. It's frail, it's weak, and it's changeable. But that's why all through scripture, if you notice, when we study First John, that was being brought forth. We saw the master bring it forth in, in, in two different places there. And, and in other books, it's brought forth. Do you know why? It's, it's because we, we, we need to be admonished to love one another because our love is frail and our love is weak and, it, and our love is changeable. And our love for the brethren, beloved, is a settled thing because it's a gift from God in whom there's no variableness or shadow of turning. He's the same yesterday, today, and, and, and forever. His love for us is not fickle. His love for us doesn't change. Doesn't change because of circumstance. Doesn't change when we mess up. That's wonderful, isn't it? My. Because as sinners, we mess up all the time, don't we? But, But his love towards us, this is wonderful. It never changes. It never changes. It never waxes cold. It's, it's always hot. 
It's always a, a, a burning love for his bride. Isn't that wonderful? And no love on this earth even compares to it. It's absolutely amazing. And we who are born again are still plagued by this body of flesh, aren't we? We're still plagued by this body of flesh. And sometimes the expressions of our love changes with circumstances. It shouldn't happen, but unfortunately it does because of our sinfulness. And we see in verse 5 that John writes this, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. So because John knows his own frailness too, remember? He's just like us. He knows his own weakness and his own frailness. He's not, he's not vaulting himself up. No, we don't do that. No. He, he's reminding her and her, son, and her ki- children to, to walk in the truth and, and to love the brethren. Turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Let's look at verses 7 and 8 in light of this text in verse 5. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which, is, which thing is true in him, in Christ, and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. Again, as we looked at in our study in 1 John chapter, or 1 John, that passage there in 1 John refers to the words of Christ, which says a new commandment, which we looked at earlier, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another, which is John 13, 34. When we studied 1 John, we, we found that that verse was written about that. And this is no new commandment in the sense that it's, it's been formulated and brought recently into effect. No, Christ is the God-man, isn't he? He's the God-man. We know that our great God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? He doesn't change. And his commandments and teachings are the same. They're the same. This commandment, for we who are his people... We are to love one another. It's newly explained by him and purged from the error of the Pharisees. It's set in contrast to the Pharisees. Remember remember the disgust that the Pharisees had for Christ eating with publicans and sinners? We're told to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're we're told to... They had utter... They despised those Pharisees or those those publicans and sinners. That, That would be you and I. You ever see the folks walking around with the big collars on their neck and in their big old suits and, and, and flowing robes and telling everybody they're religious? They're just like the Pharisees of old. Just like the Pharisees of old. So we're the we're the love people. But our love for the brethren is a special, special love. And this is no, no new teaching, again, or commandment. It dates back to the beginning. We don't have a new gospel. We have an ancient gospel. We have an ancient gospel, beloved. It's called the everlasting gospel. The everlasting gospel of God's grace in Christ. 
and the principles and commandments are always the same. Christ is our advocate and Christ is our atonement. He's our mercy seat. And those who know God love him and keep his words and his commandments. And those who abide in Christ seek to walk as he walked in love. Let's look at verse 6. Look at this. And this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Brother Henry Mahan makes this comment. I really like this. The love which this commandment requires is an active, obedient love. Warm feelings towards God or toward men are worthless unless they are united with truth. Unless they are united with truth. On one hand, and obedience on the other. Again, which is all wrought in us by the Holy Spirit of God. This is the will or commandment of God that his people walk in love, which is, means that they're guided by it and practice it. And practice it. So we have to be reminded of that which we have heard from the beginning. And unfortunately, the fact that we have to be reminded is a testimony to our sinfulness. The fact that we have to be reminded is a testimony to our sinfulness. To, really, it, it's a testimony of our need for Christ all the time. Right? And that's why we just keep looking to him. That's why Paul says, set your mind on things above. Just keep looking to him. Just keep looking to him. And, and in fact, it actually daily, again, reminds us of our need for Christ so that we will look to him. We will look to him. And this is a stark reminder that as we sojourn in this life, too, what a, what a reminder this is, too. The fact that we have to be reminded of this is a testimony to our sinfulness and also a testimony that we do not approve or improve in any measurable degree by anything we do. We need Christ. And we need him more now than we've ever needed him before. I do. And I know it's so for you too who believe. I know it is. You see your need more today than you ever did before. That's called growing in grace, beloved. That's what that is. We see our sinfulness more and more, and we see our need for him more and more. It's absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. We do not progress in holiness or righteousness, as some say, or sanctification. No, we see, we see our sinfulness more and more. Therefore, we have to be admonished again and again to love one another. This is what the Scripture says. And again, as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then we have a greater understanding of our continued need for him. Our continued need for grace our continued need for mercy is because we know that any, we can't offer anything acceptable to God. We know that. We've been taught that. And so again, we are showing our desperate need more and more even after conversion. After conversion. We still wander away. We're sheep, don't we? We sure do. He just keeps coming and getting us. <laughs> He's wonderful, isn't he? He's wonderful. Oh, my. 
Now he put us in his pasture and we feast on his word. We feast on his word. The love of God shed abroad in our hearts is manifested, how? By walking in the truth. By walking in the truth and by love for the brethren. And walking in his commandments, which is again, just looking to Christ. Looking to him. Right? Remember they said, what must we do? And he said, just, you believe on me. Believe on the one whom God has sent. <laughs> oh my. Walking in his commandments, believe in the gospel. Look at verse 6 again. And this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Now religion diminishes the value of faith by diminishing the importance of the gospel. In, in doing so, they create a so-called believer that is without any motive for obedience other than self-attainments. Rewards. Rewards. They do this for a reward and they do that for a reward and they, they, they grieve because they feel like they've lost the reward doing something else. Praise God, beloved of God, that Christ is our reward. Christ is our reward. He is our reward. Religion's a hard way. It's a hard taskmaster, beloved. But what do people do? They flock to it, don't they? They flock to it. They flock to it. Because it, you know why? You know why they flock? Because it appeals to the flesh. It appeals to the flesh. You give a man something to do and he'll run to it. Tell him salvation is by free grace and free grace alone, he'll run away from it. Natural man I'm talking about. Natural man. Run away. But if you're made willing in the day of his power, oh, you run to Christ. You run to Christ. And this religion is a, again, it's a hard taskmaster. People flock to it because they like to keep their checklist going. How many rewards are supposedly obtaining? And we see in our text that this lady's children were obedient because why? They walked in the truth. They walked in the truth. Are you walking in the truth? Are you walking, are you walking in Christ? Are you trusting him daily? Do you believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you look to him alone? You're walking in the truth, beloved. You're walking. Do you love the brethren? Yeah, I love the brethren. Oh, you're walking in truth and love then. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, my people, don't they muddy the water so much? They muddy the water so much. My, let's look at verse 7 and 8 now. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but we receive a full reward. Now here before us in verse 7, we see the importance of walking in the truth and loving the brethren because many deceivers are entered into the world. The word there for deceiver is, a, is defined in the Greek as a wanderer, a vagabond. One who misleads or leads into error, a corruptor and a deceiver. Do you know the same word? Look over there quickly to, to 1 John. Look over there for, quickly to 1 John. Look at verse 18. The same word for deceiver is used over here. 
First John chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Deceivers. Antichrist. Antichrist, beloved. Corruptus. One who misleads into error. The truth is the only discloser of a lie. The truth is the only discloser of a lie. What do bank tellers study to know counterfeit bills? The real bills, beloved. What do we study to know truth from error? We study the Word of God, the truth, the truth. Remember the Bereans? They searched the Scriptures to see if these things were so. What Paul was speaking. They were truth seekers, beloved. Oh, my. And these false teachers are, these deceivers are antichrists. They're false teachers and they are, they are those who profess to know Christ, but yet they walk in darkness. False teachers who are described by their character, deceivers. Deceivers. Deceitful workers, pretending to be the ministers of Christ, pretending to have a love for souls and a view to the glory of God, but they lie in wait and they deceive, beloved. They lie in wait and they deceive. And they handle the word of God deceitfully. They add to the finished work of Christ. And in 1 John 2.18, we see that there are many in number. Look at that verse again, many in number. Little children, it is the last time, and ye shall have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Many. We see that even in our world, don't we, now, in our time. Many, many false teachers, many deceivers. And it makes you grateful for the truth being proclaimed and preached. Hey, it, it, it's marvelous that the Lord's given us hearing ears and seeing eyes. That we're not carried away. Well, let's look at that verse again. These deceivers are their imposters. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus is come in the flesh. This is the, a deceiver and an antichrist. Now we see here that John brings forth by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God the chief error of these imposters that he's speaking of here. The fact that they deny that the Lord Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And in doing so, in, in denying that the Lord Jesus Christ has come into the, come in the flesh, they, they not only deny his person, but they deny his work, beloved. They deny his perfect, his perfect, perfect redemption. They deny the complete, finished, atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. They profess to believe in Christ as a prophet or as a teacher or as a healer. 
or even a messenger from God. But they deny, beloved, it says here in the Scripture, that he's God incarnate. They deny that the second person of the Trinity, the divine word of God, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And John here, remember too, again, John, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, the author of the Scriptures, makes it very clear that all those who deny that Christ has come in the flesh, that Jesus Christ is God, are deceivers in Antichrist. And that's what the Scripture declares. That's not our opinion. That's what the Scriptures declare. So they deny that... So in, in their denying that Christ has come in the flesh, it is a direct attack again against the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ who was sent by God to save his people from their sins. you see how, how serious this is? That's why John says they're a deceiver and an antichrist. And to deny that he came in the flesh is to discount his successful redemption, to count it as nothing. Altogether without, without any good. Because without the sacrifice of his sinless physical body, the payment necessary to answer the penalty of sin, our sins could never be paid for. Therefore, this is denying the gospel, beloved, at its core. This is denying the gospel at its core. It denies the necessity of Christ's incarnation. It denies his finished work. Therefore, it places man on the footing that asserts that he, by his works, his knowledge, or his will, can merit an acceptable righteousness before God, which we know is an outright lie. The only way for us to be accepted by God is to be clothed in the perfect, spotless righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only ones who are clothed in that righteousness are the ones for whom Christ died for on Calvary's cross. Also to deny that Christ has come in the flesh is to deny that, that Christ is, is, is to deny particular redemption. Because why did Christ come here? To save his people from their sin. So in denying that Christ came in the flesh, they are denying particular redemption. Now, beloved, he came to save his people from their sins. He came to live the perfect life, which we never could. He came to die for his people as a substitute. Those who are called the elect in Scripture, the very one who John's writing to, one of the, the elect lady. Listen to what, let's turn over there. 2 Corinthians. Listen to what Paul writes here. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look what Paul writes over here. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're starting verse 1. We'll read to verse 4 here. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. 
For I have espoused you to one husband, that's Christ. Now I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, but I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ, from the simplicity of salvation in Christ alone. In Christ alone, verse 4. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, or Jesus who, who wants to save you but can't, unless you let him. A Jesus who has no arms and feet unless, unless he has your arms and feet. My, another Jesus. Whom we have received, look, I'll start that again. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached. Or if you receive another spirit, oh, there's another spirit too, which ye have not received. Or another gospel, there's another gospel too, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. For I suppose I was not a whip behind the very chiefest apostles. Oh my. There are many deceivers entered into this world, beloved. Many deceivers entered into this world. And their deceptions are as manifold as their, their differences as, as people. There are so many deceptions. False apostles, deceitful workers. Paul actually says, look what Paul says. Over here in 2 Corinthians, again, chapter 11, same chapter. Look at verses uh, 13 and 14. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Well, just flip your TV on, you'll see a whole bunch of them. You won't stand being able to watch it, trust me. You just got to flip through the channel. Oh, there's one, there's one, there's one. Deceitful workers, uh, transforming or, or transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. Then look what he says. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. My, oh my. Deceitful workers. How are they discovered? How are they discerned? Well, we see in the most singular manner as Brother Tim James brings forth in truth and love. Truth and love. The Lord Jesus Christ, whom the believer's rest is, and we hear the gospel of God's free grace preached and proclaimed, we can easily discern the false prophets. Easily discern them. So we have seen tonight the Apostle John admonished the elect lady to take caution, knowing that these deceivers are cut, have entered into the world. And we'll see next week that she's had people into her house, and some believe that she had people come and that the church men in her house, and that, that she was having teachers come who denied the very thing that, that, John, that John's writing to her about, who denied that Christ came in the flesh. So he's, a, he's warning them. He's warning her not to have these people in her home, not to have them. 
And look at, let's look at verse 9 to 11. We're close with this. Now, again, there's many deceivers and wolves, wolves who are in sheep's clothing, and they proclaim to have fellowship with God, but they're liars, and the truth is not in them. And their gospel, beloved, is a counterfeit gospel. The Apostle John here reminds the elect lady he's writing to to be careful whom she has come into her home and preach. And look at, look at this again, verses 9 to, 9 to 11. Whosoever transgresses and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you that bring not this doctrine. So he's setting a line. He's setting a contrast. Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Don't let him in. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. And then look at verse 8. We'll close with this again. Look to, you, look to yourselves that we lose not these things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Christ is our reward, beloved. Christ is our reward. And, and, and verse 8 is watch yourself. Watch yourself, beloved. Look to yourself is, is watch yourself. Watch yourself. This is an exhortation to the elect lady and her children to look about them and be aware of of, of these false teachers. Be aware of them. Take care. Take care not to partake with them. Beware of these false teachers and their, and their doctrines. Watch yourselves. Be aware. How? How do, we, how, how, are we, how do we be aware? By keeping our eyes on Christ. By keeping our eyes on Christ and being under the sound of the gospel, beloved. Glory to his name. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the honor and the privilege it is for us to gather during the midweek. And we know, Lord, that every time we get to meet, it's, it's such a privilege and such an honor. Oh, Lord, I pray we take something with us and just cling to it tonight, what we've heard. Oh, that you warm the hearts of your people. Again, we're a needy people, oh, Lord, but you're a great God, all-sufficient God. We may not always have what we want, but we always have what we need. And we praise your mighty name for that. We love you because you first loved us in Jesus' name.